Well, I want to welcome you today. For those of you who are joining us at any of our Heart of Life sites or whether you're joining us online from all kinds of different places, we are grateful for the chance to get together. I hope that you're doing well. It's March. We got a little more daylight in the evenings, a little warmer temperature going on, and basketball. I mean, it's a good month. It's a good month. And so I know that some of you are cheering like crazy this week. You are. Uh, many of you, it's not necessarily because your team is in the tournament, but because you want to win the office bracket, right? That's the real motivation. Everybody wants to win the office bracket. Well, there were a lot of impressive victories this week, um, but I think one team deserves the greatest applause, and that would be the team of adults who led and chaperoned the Heart of Life student lock-in on Friday night. Can we give them a hand today? Anybody besides me grow up in church culture and lock-ins were a part? Anybody been to the lock-in? Yeah? If you don't know what we're talking about, a lock-in is the idea of putting all students in one building, lock the doors, and you keep them there all night. Like, who was the first person to think of that idea, right? And when I think back, I'm pretty sure the adults who led some of our lock-ins growing up would answer, Satan. Satan was the author of the first lock-ins, but... But no, they were a ton of fun, for real. I mean, seriously, you get to get together, right, all night with your friends and play games and eat all the food that you want to eat. Well, when I was thinking about the lock-in this week, I, I suddenly realized we are studying a book of the Bible. It's really a, a letter called Philippians, written by a guy at a lock-in. I mean, it was actually a lock up because he was in prison. And when I say prison, we're talking a couple of thousand years ago. So this, this prison didn't, I'm pretty sure it didn't have cable, no cafeteria, no gym to work out. In fact, he's in a prison that there's not even a guarantee that he will get a trial. We Americans are spoiled in that kind of thinking. No, he's in a prison where they may decide not even to give him a, a trial, much less a fair one. They can just declare he's done. But his response to being there reminds me of a guy at a lock-in. Because in his circumstances, he talks about joy. He talks about being joyful and he even repeats it several times. Now, here's why that's the case. The guy we're talking about, his name is Paul. And he is a man who lives for something that transcends all circumstances. His life is about spreading the good news of Jesus. 
And so we've seen it in this first chapter. He says, look, I'm in prison and I think I'm gonna get out, but I'm not sure if I'm gonna get out. But, but let me tell you what God's done. Even though I've been in this prison, the gospel, it has advanced, right? The imperial guard, right? Caesar's uh, military and, and force, they, they are hearing about the good news. The good news is spreading throughout Rome. He's rejoicing. He says, because of me being in chains, some of my brothers and sisters in the faith, they are more courageous. God has used my example to to make them stronger. And he even says, while he's in prison, there have been some, and I think this happens, anytime you see a key leader sort of removed from a place of leadership, there will be people who try to weasel their way into that particular leadership role because of the power that it brings with it. And what I hear with Paul is there are some people since he's been in prison who've sort of stepped in and they're, they're preaching the good news of Jesus, but they're doing it from selfish motives. And you know what he says? Who cares? Because the good news of Jesus is being preached, he says, I am rejoicing. Is it really possible to live in such a way that regardless of the circumstances, you can have joy? And the answer we're finding is absolutely yes. Well, today... We're going to look at a next piece in this chapter, really over the next three weeks. We're going to learn about something else that is possible for your life that is just as extraordinary. I'm going to start today by reading the whole passage to you, and then we're just going to back up and look at a tiny piece of it because we're going to take three weeks to break this down. Everything that I'm about to read to you is one sentence. It's one sentence. It's funny how the Greek language can work. Um, Once I read it, you'll understand how, how, what a statement that is. You will be grateful that in class, you didn't have to diagram this sentence, all right? So I'm just gonna read it, and I'm gonna show you what this is about. Philippians chapter one, starting with verse 27. Here's how it reads. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Check out this line. Without being frightened in any way. I want you to let that sink in. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Without being frightened in any way, we're going to take the next three weeks to look at an extraordinary truth that we are given It's about living fearless, fearless. Is that really possible? 
Is it really possible to live not frightened by anything? What if it is? What if it is? I hope that you will join us for all three of our talks as we work through this text. This is the stuff that changes how you live. Now, this little group of verses is actually what we would call the conclusion to the introduction of Paul's letter. Chapter 1 of Philippians is kind of the intro. We have come to the conclusion of the intro. And so it's more important today than, than maybe normal that I help you see how this fits in, in light of what all we've been, we've been gathering, what, what he's been teaching us. Paul recently made the statement to live as Christ and to die as gain. It is one of the most powerful statements I think at all in the New Testament. To live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ. Well, what else is Paul going to live for? Is Paul the kind of guy that you think is going to live for something like wealth? You know, like Lydia, one of those first believers in, in Philippi. She, she was that CEO, that, that fashionista, right? That was her story. Lydia was a person who had everything. And so much of the world that we see around us are people who are spending their lives to get and so maybe they're moral, and maybe they're wealthy, but there's an emptiness that no amount of wealth can ever fill. Paul says, no, for me, to, for me Christ is life for me. I mean, what else is he going to live for? Maybe he could flip the other way, and Paul could live for something like revenge, right? Anybody who's ever heard him, kind of like the, the slave girl that I think about, one of those first believers that we read about in, in Philippi. Think about the bitterness and the anger that could exist in her life, her being owned by, by, by those men. And like, how does she get there? Did her parents sell her out to live with that bitterness? Where does it end? Empty. And so Paul's declaration to live is Christ. All of them, the Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, like us, they, they were slaves to way of life. But here comes the good news of Jesus and it overpowers it all. And now there's joy. There's joy. But he also says to die is gain. To die is gain. He says in another place, e even with this faith in Jesus, if our hope is only in this life, right, we are to be pitied uh, among all people. No, there is a greater day that's coming. There is a greater reward that's coming. I, I love the image Paul uses in one place. He says, we're, we're camping. This, this is just a tent. It's not permanent, it's, it's temporary. These bodies, we're just living in a tent right now. Something greater is coming. Now, in light of that gigantic view of life and death, now we can take in verse 27, understanding the impact of what Paul is saying. Look at it again. Whatever happens... Some translations will simply use the word only. The idea is what Paul's saying here, it is a summarizing, simplifying statement. 
After everything I've said to you so far, it's like what Paul's saying, make sure you get this. Up until now, Paul's been giving us his circumstances really and his actions. But this point in the letter, it really turns to where he's now charging those first believers in Philippi and us as followers of Jesus. He's now charging us with action. All right, in light of all that, whatever happens, only make sure you get this right. Let's keep reading. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves. That is the main verb in this whole entire sentence that spans three verses. This is the big verb. Conduct yourselves. And that word is an interesting word. In the Greek language, it's the word from which we get our word politics. Go figure. Now, when we hear the word politics, most people think something negative. When we hear the word politics, we we think of strife in a sense. But that's not what the word originally is about. It simply referred to how citizens lived in a state. That's what it meant, how you conduct yourselves. Philippi, you might remember, because I've told you this along the way, was a Roman colony. It means it acted like a little Rome, even though it was distanced from Rome. So the people in Philippi, they, they were like Roman citizens. They, they abided by Roman law. That they, they spoke Latin, right, Roman language. They, they, would, they would wear Roman clothing. It looked like a little Rome. So in that day, the state was not just a place to live. It was a partnership with other people to promote the common good of all society. Imagine that. So conduct here, it means live as a citizen in the kingdom to which you belong with all the rights and privileges, with all the duties and responsibilities for the good of everybody. Now watch where Paul takes this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we realize Paul is not in just encouraging them in how they live in the Roman kingdom. He is talking to them about how they live as part of the kingdom of God. Those who have been born again through faith in Jesus, that they are born into God's family, into God's kingdom. And so he says, look, I want you to live in such a way, in such a manner, worthy of the gospel. That word worthy, you can think about the word equal or the word consistent. 
The image for me this week is a, a scale, like one of those scales that works like this, right? You, you, whichever side you put more weight on. And, and the point is you want the scale here to be equal. You want to be strong in the truth of the gospel, but you want to be equally strong in the culture of the gospel that is the result in how you live because of this truth of the gospel. All right, you, you know this, this good news of Jesus, a good news that Jesus died for sin, that he was buried, third day he arose, and all who come to him in faith, by, by grace they are saved. He, he says, I want you to know that truth of the gospel, but here he's saying equally, I want your lives to look like that gospel. Live in a manner worthy of that gospel. Now, what happens when people are just always spouting the truth of the gospel, but they don't actually live like the gospel is real? We call them hypocrites. We call them hypocrites. And what happens when, when you have this culture that, that has a familiarity that looks like it, it could be a gospel culture, but you don't stand strong on the truth of what the good news of Jesus really is, man, that, that's, that's fragile. That'll soon fall. But when you've got the truth of the gospel in Jesus and, and you've got people who are living that out in a culture that matches it, man, something powerful takes place there. It, it, it's supposed to be called the church. Now, when I think about the gospel, when I think about what Jesus has done in my life, when I think about the miracle that has happened in me, a new birth that I didn't, I didn't pull this off, I didn't do something to earn this, I didn't make this miracle happen, this is him who does a miracle, right? It, it, when I think about the magnitude of his love and his grace and all that is associated with the gospel, I don't know about you, but when I hear the line, in a manner, right, live in a manner worthy of the gospel, that sounds impossible. How am I supposed to live that? Well, that's what Paul's showing us. So let's keep reading. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you, I just want to pause on this. Paul's making an assumption here. It's kind of one of those between the, between the lines things that when I, when he's assuming that their character should also be their reputation. Right? If, if these people, if they are fearless, He's assuming that, that their reputation would be that they are fearless. It's just one of those places that this week that caused me to but a pause, and, and I think it's worth pondering. I, I may say that I'm a person of faith, but the question is, does your reputation say you're a person of faith? We may say I'm a person of courage, 
when it comes to, to, to the gospel, but the question is, does your reputation say? Would, would, is that what people would say about you? When they would go, oh, him, oh, her, yes, she is. Is that what they would say? Here's the final piece that I want you to see today. It's the first piece, but our final piece today. He says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. Stand firm in the one spirit. Now, one of the real questions when we're studying this text is this word right here, the word spirit, is that supposed to be capitalized spirit? Are we talking about the Holy Spirit? Or is it supposed to be little s spirit talking about one spirit among, right, his people? And the real answer, the honest answer is we don't know for sure because the the Greek language doesn't tell us that. It doesn't capitalize that one way or the other. And so not really sure. I'm going to cut through a lot and just tell you my my, um, belief is because of where we're going to read from here and what's going to follow in Philippians and what I read in the rest of Scripture, I, I, I think it's a capital. I think that's who he's talking about. But I also think that perhaps it's okay maybe to say it this way. He's saying, stand firm in the one Holy Spirit who unites us as believers in one spirit. I think that's okay. I think that's consistent throughout Scripture. Stand firm in the one Holy Spirit because we know we got no power without him. Right, we got nothing without him. So stand firm in the one Holy Spirit who unites you as believers in one spirit. And every time I read something like this in Philippians, my head just goes back over and over and over to the strange group of humanity that God assembled for the first time in Philippi. Lydia, right, this fashionista CEO, a slave girl who is demon-possessed, and a jailer, this duty-bound GI to Rome. And what, what, what Paul is declaring here, all of them in all of their differences now, because of the good news of Jesus, they all stand as one, living out this good news of Jesus in Philippi. What does it look like to live worthy of the gospel? I believe it is grace-filled lives that are able to respect the journeys of one another, the differences of one another, because we recognize that all of that falls under the cross of Jesus. That is not easy to do in the culture in which we live, a Western culture where everything now is polarized. You see that? 
from politics to Christianity. We live in a world that whoever's way is the right way, always. And I'm reminding us today that, unfortunately, I I see signs of that, not just in the world, if you will, around us, but I see signs of that even in the church as it operates, operates around us. That our way of doing church is the right way. Everybody else's is not. Right? My way of preaching is the right way. And everybody else needs to get on board with what's right. And man, we can apply that to to, to how a church organizes and and governs, to how it carries out. It is... It is unfortunate that if we're not careful, that this is, this is what people end up seeing. When you do that, you stop revealing the beauty and the power of who Jesus is. That we are family of all differences. Family of all backgrounds where, where, where the, the, the black man is my brother and the Asian woman is my sister and, and right, the, the white soccer mom with the golden retriever and the SUV that lives in the suburbs because everybody needs an SUV in the suburbs, right? That, that's how it works. She can even be in the family. Everybody's a part of the family because the gospel makes us one. One, where else does that happen? Where else does that happen? This is what mature faith looks like. Now, do we ever struggle with this? Yeah, that's next week. That's next week. But today, he's simply saying you need to learn this word. Stand. Stand. Stand in this one spirit. Stand is a military word. It's a word that would have been associated with a soldier who will not leave his post. No matter what happens, no matter how great the assault, no matter how difficult the task, he will never Move, he will never run, he will never cower. That is the image of where we start. A life that is worthy of the gospel starts standing firm. We're back to stance. We just finished a whole series on stance. Well, Paul's not finished. We're still talking stance. Last week, last week I, I started sort of with, a, with an illustration for you of, a, of, of an offensive basketball stance called a triple threat. Remember that? And you, you got options when, you, when, you, when your position is right, you're able to, to, to make several decisions there on how you move forward. Well, today he's saying your defensive stance also matters. And that's true in basketball. If you ever played the game of basketball, man, you, you better learn your stance on defense. You got, you got feet, right, wider than shoulders length apart because the, the point in de- on defense is you have to slide your feet. You slide. You don't, you don't do this. You quickly find your nose on the ground. You slide your feet and your hands are out. 
Your hands are out, ready, right, up, down. You're going after the ball. For me, that's a, that's a picture of what Paul's called on us here, a right stance, stand firm. I'm not just going to give up ground here. But when I think about the hands, it, it always reminds me, we've, we've taught this before, when it comes to the church, it's the picture of one hand is closed and one hand is open. The hand that is closed represents those things that we just cannot, we cannot negotiate. What is that for us? That's Jesus, crucified, buried, and risen. Non-negotiable, hand closed. That truth, him dying, buried, raised, means that now I can be adopted by him, not again, not because I earned it, not because I was good enough, but, but, but through faith in him, his grace has brought me in. Hand closed, no, negoti- no negotiation. But so much of what it looks like to walk this out with brothers and sisters in Christ also means there is a hand open where there are so many things and how we walk them out that there are other truly Jesus-loving, Bible-believing people who see it a little different than we would. And it's okay to disagree as long as we look like, as long as we look like we are family who would lay down our lives for one another. Not just people that get along. Not just people who are willing to say, oh, okay, I'll just let that go. No, no, no people who stand as one. I, if, remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about salvation and I, give you those, I gave you those big old five-syllable words, remember that? I'm sure you remember them all, right? You remember starts with regeneration, this miracle of the Holy Spirit, a new birth in us. I'm saying, if that's true, if if that is true, then shouldn't there be a culture of humility and gratitude that just engulfs the church? Because like if he did it and I didn't, (laughs) if it's all his miracle and not me earning if all that's true, then shouldn't there be a culture that, that results that is humble and grateful? That should be a culture that is a part of who we are. If justification is for real, that he has legally declared we are forgiven and we are free, then shouldn't the culture be one of grace and forgiveness? If sanctification is real, right, the Holy Spirit continuing to work in our lives, then the culture should be one that that is always understanding growth is happening in all of us. And if glorification is true, there really is a promise of, of he will finish what he started and it will be perfection, then the culture is one of hope. Please don't misunderstand me today. I, I, I will never, never, the day that I do, I don't need to be here. But I will never say compromise the gospel, ever. We never want to compromise the gospel. 
But I am saying that there are lots of things that we can disagree on and still be one. Still be one. The key, he says, standing firm in the one spirit. Paul says this is where you start when you understand that the Christian living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus is fearless. Fearless. So I'm kind of backing you into this and we're going, okay, then I want to be fearless. Well, then this is where we start. This is where he starts. Stand firm in the one spirit. So much of this life is just absolutely frightening if you don't know Jesus. Isn't it? This world, there is so much stuff of this world that is just absolutely frightening if you don't know Jesus. My world is to be reminded of that often. It is. I deal with a lot of painful things that happen in people's lives. Reminded often of how frightening it can be. This week, that hit a little close to home for me. The call I received this week was the news that my daughter, Whitney, who often helps us um, worship together, and she was traveling up into the city to see a friend. Um, her two children were asleep in the back seat of the car when another vehicle um, pulled up beside her. Um, window rolled down. A man with a face covered extended a gun out the window and shot three times at her car. That stuff happens every day. Just doesn't happen to my daughter every day. Right? I'll admit to you that for me, it started with gratitude and anger. Which I think is okay with what I read about God. Started with gratitude and anger, eventually worked its way back toward um, pretty much just all out gratitude found no bullet holes in the car. Not sure how to explain that one, so I'm just going to keep thanking him. Everybody's good. There's a lot of stuff in this life that can be really scary, especially if you don't know Jesus, where he enables you that even though stuff happens, you can live without fear. But what I want you to get today is the truth we're talking about is is even bigger than just making it through life, not fearing life. This is attached to sharing the gospel. 
And I'm pretty sure that most of us, even this week, our lives won't be in danger because we followed Jesus, right? You're probably not going to have somebody put a hit on you this week because they find out you're, you're a believer in Jesus. But I think we can still see this truth lived out because I know people who will choose to journey into much more dangerous places in this world than where they live, going to people who look different, to people who speak different, to people who believe different. And honestly, in some of those circumstances, the only way I know how to say it, they are betting providence that they're going to live another day. But then I realize every day we live, we are betting providence that we're going to live another day. That's part of the rest that I have in Jesus. It is the providence of God. It it was not my daughter's nor my grandchildren's day. And I absolutely believe in a providence of God in in all things. But I know people who have great families and comfortable places to live, but they will go to uncomfortable places, right? I, I, I know people who will stand to do what is righteous in their job, in their family, in their school, even if it costs them financially, even if it costs them popularity. I, I know people who will stand in what is right because of who they belong to in Jesus. Man, the call today is that your life will match what you claim to believe. And if you believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain, then what do you have to lose? (laughs) I want you to realize that one day history will be rewritten. It will. Right now, men are writing the history books. One day history will be rewritten. And when you read the final account of history, the highlights won't be the wars. It won't be the kings. It won't be who thought they had power and could conquer other nations. That that won't be the highlight. The highlight is going to be the heroes who are taking the gospel even to places that are difficult. And the victories will be the lives that are rescued into the kingdom of God. Who cares if they mock us? Stand firm in one spirit. The Christian living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus is fearless. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And everywhere as we stand, I want that physical act to represent what Paul is reminding us of today. This is who God makes us to be. In a culture that's crazy, stand. One spirit. In a culture that is frightening, stand. One spirit. So I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read a little bit of what he says because that's what you need more than what I say. 
I just want you to hear from several places in his word, and then we're going to declare it together, what he's called us to do, to stand. Philippians chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, be on guard. Be courageous, be strong. Stand firm in faith. Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Nobody owns you when Jesus owns you. You know what he says? Then stand firm. Take your stance. I know there is an enemy. But Ephesians reminds us that we put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. He says in verse 13, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, what? Stand. And Romans 14 is the final declaration for me. Because when I read this, it's like, God, can you really? God, can this really be true? Can you really do this in me? Yes, he can. Romans 14 says you will stand because the Lord is able to make you stand.